2: And what did you have?
3: What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a
4: revolutionary. It speaks about what we didn't do. Amen. Then
0: it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House.
3: African descent fairly. America failed. She put.
5: And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
4: And good evening and thank you so very much for joining us here this Saturday night on Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And many of you were expecting that we were going to be uh, doing our Black History Intelligence Challenge, the annual Our Common Ground Black History Games tonight, and we have uh, put them aside because this evening, after four days of deliberation, the jury in the trial of Michael Dunn, a Florida man who shot Jordan Davis, a teenager to death in a parking lot, during, because he was disturbed by loud music and said it could not agree, this jury, on whether Mr. Dunn had acted in self-defense or was guilty of murder. The jurors did find Mr. Mr. Dunn guilty of three counts of attempted murder for getting out of his car and firing several times at a Durango sports utility vehicle in which Jordan Davis, age 17, was killed, but three others who are also teenagers were not struck. Mr. Dunn continued to fire at the car even as it pulled away. For that crime, Mr. Dunn could be sentenced to more than 70 years in prison. The judge declared a mistrial on the count of first-degree murder. The jury failed to reach agreement on lesser charges that are automatically included in jury instructions under Florida statute. Those were second and third degree murder and manslaughter. Prosecutors will be free to move ahead with the new trial on the murder charge. And we are going to be joined by Dr. Tommy Curry. He is a graduate of the Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, where he received his Ph.D. in philosophy in 2008. And he has been with us previously and talking about many subjects having to do with our pain born out of struggle. His research interests include critical race theory and Africana Philosophy, anti-colonial economic thought, and colonial sexuality studies, social political philosophy, uh, specifically civil rights jurisprudence, jurisprudence, and biomedical ethics of investigational treatments and the ethics of pain and suffering. And we are so glad that he will be joining us in in this discussion. And. We're so glad that you are as well. If you are listening on a smart device and you would like to join our chatters in our chat room, you can come to this URL, www.blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And we do want to, to let our listeners know that we will get back to our Black History Games, and um, we'll let you know later on in the broadcast when that might be. But for now, I want, before we begin this discussion, to have you understand that there is a blizzard running through the skies of Boston tonight, but there is a storm running through my soul. We are here one more time because a jury decided to pass on forgiveness to a white man who murdered in cold blood a black boy. This is murder, and this is also a continuing pattern of forgiveness, of law enforcement officers, stray drunk men at gas stations on the street who don't like what he perceives as thugs or their music. There was plenty of physical evidence in this case. And here we are, once again, with an Angela Corey of the State Attorney uh, Attorney, uh, General of Florida who's calling for a retrial, and they are going to go ahead and file a new trial for first-degree murder. My question is, why the hell didn't you push a first-degree murder in this trial? Um, So what are we facing here? First of all, Dunn is facing uh, essentially a lifetime in prison. And you might be out there saying, well, Janice, why the hell can't you be satisfied with that? going to be in prison in life. See, I think if they need to take him back to the gas station, take him out back and shoot his ass. But that's why they don't make me in charge. But the whole idea is what black people have to ask is why juries always find it possible to forgive a white killer when it is a black dead body. Now, you you don't have to travel back very long, either intellectually or emotionally, to revisit the George Zimmerman verdict where he got off scot-free. But you're going to tell me that a jury could see on counts two, three, two, three, and four that second-degree, an attempted second-degree murder happened in the face of evidence where Jordan Davis began to bleed out inside the vehicle and a jury would consider that maybe Jordan Davis was outside of the car and was a threat? You're listening to our common ground, I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back.
0: He was always wanting to be the first. Always wanting to be the leader.
3: Recorded? Huh? Recorded?
0: He was a social butterfly social butterfly, and people just gravitated to him he was never the kind of young man that wanted to date he would always say oh no mom you know girls they're too much trouble they get mad at you too easily no I'll just be friends calling me and talking to me about Aaliyah I thought wow this is very interesting this is the first time I've ever heard him be so interested in one young woman she must really be something we had a good, friendly relationship at first, and then we started dating. She's straight A straight-A student, mom. You know, she's a cheerleader. She holds down two jobs.
3: Yeah, he was athletic. He liked sports. He played a little baseball. Humorous,
0: fun-loving, jokester. This was actually the night before he was murdered, in his bedroom in Jacksonville with his friend, Leland. This is the very last picture we have of him. Jury knows he lied. They also know he was drinking and he was upset. And guess what happens? Even though it's not a defense under Florida law, voluntary intoxication is not a defense, mental state, because he's upset, is not a defense. Juries give out discounts from premeditation, first degree to second degree, if they think to themselves, the guy was drinking and he was scared, he didn't act rationally. That's why I think this case has always been a clear guilty of
6: murder, but not premeditation. You've got first degree murder of Jordan Davis. There are lesser included. Uh, There could be second degree, there could be manslaughter. So, and then the other three are attempted murder, those involved the teenagers who escaped, uh, drove away. And the first two, first degree is the first one, then second degree is a lesser option. Manslaughter is a lesser option. So, uh, Brian Claypool, if they wanted to go for a lesser option, they would have just gone for, they'd just go for a lesser option. They wouldn't say, they can't reach a decision.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Jane, I think you're right. And I think there's a big problem for the prosecution here. Because think about it. They're, they're looking at the first-degree murder charge first. There are two main facts they have to determine on first-degree murder. One is, was there premeditation? The second one is, was done reasonably justified in using deadly force, i.e., self-defense? I think if, they, if they're hung up on the second one, which is self-defense, which I think they could
5: be. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Uh-huh. We welcome you to the 2014 broadcast
1: season, Our Common Ground.
5: Transforming Truth to Power, one broadcast at a time.
7: 2014 at Our Common Ground.
4: Black America, a state
5: of emergency.
4: Thank you for tuning in. We hope you become part of the Our Common Ground family in 2014. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll
3: be listening
4: and thank you for joining us, Dr. Tommy J. Curry, one more time at our common ground i know i'm I'm sounding kinda like, what's their latest name? Nancy Grace tonight <laughs> 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 um. But here we are again. Mm
8: -hmm.
4: We have a dead boy where the American justice system, which we we have not attended to, which is why I think it's one part of our state of emergency. Mm -hmm. And this white man has been offered forgiveness by a jury. Now, tonight, as this news broke, this is what you wrote, and it's so important, so listen up, folks. This is what you wrote on your Facebook page, which didn't help my situation very much, by the way. I
7: apologize
8: about that.
4: You wrote, this is what pisses me off. This black boy is dead. He was killed by a white vigilante in broad daylight. And black men are made to be silent. We can't protest. We can't write about them. We are told not to mourn them. And if we do, we are violent. We are irrational. Hell, if I write an article about these lost black male lives, I am privileging, quote, black men. And we wouldn't want to fucking do that, would we? I hope you all didn't bring your children for the games, and I'm up in here, cousin. But this is (laughs) what Dr. Curry said. These boys are dead people. They cannot speak or tell their stories, but in reality we have a racist white America and dumbass black bourgeoisie who give a fuck less that they are now corpses. Now we will watch and wait for the next Salon.com article, our blog, our commentary of someone else, meaning someone other than a black man or boy, telling us what this means. Dr. Curry, what does yes, this mean?
7: Well, I think it means a few things. Um, you know, when we, when we saw the murder of Oscar Grant uh, broadcast on YouTube, uh, when we see uh you know now this this case with Jordan Davis and we're still kind of mourning um, the reality of trayvon martin uh, I think that I think that it shows us that black men don't really have any kind of political or intellectual recourse to what happens to us and you know as you know, I've been writing about this for a while and and what we see is that we have a culture that actively resists at least an academic and political culture that actively resists acknowledging the vulnerability of black men. Uh, either because white people construct them as thugs and dangerous or, you know, even black people among us think they're men and hence they don't have feelings or fears. So we don't get any kind of real discussion about how systematic violence, how programmatic violence against young black men and boys breeds a certain type of fear and paranoia that's based in reality, that white people can kill us and that our lives have have absolutely no worth or stake to anyone else in, in, in society. And this is an issue of being powerlessness, right? We don't have power. So it's not a situation where black men are killed and then the justice system comes to the aid and says we'll protect the life of an individual. What we see in the Dunn case, just like we saw in the Martin case, and just like we saw in the, in the Farrell case, is that white people's fears, their phantasm, their irrational fantasies about the danger of black men matter more than the concrete lies before them. So what we have is conversations that constantly talk about living in democracy, being good citizens, or as you know when I criticize Obama, go back to the workhouse and be businessmen with no kind of analysis or conceptualization of what it means to say you should be a citizen in a world where people can kill you and nothing will happen, where it means to be a citizen in a world where you don't have any 14th Amendment protections, where there is no due process. And you think about the black communities that are losing these young men and boys, that are are seeing – think about his mother. Think about – in fact, think about what this means to other young black men who now feel that they can't say anything, that they have to cower under any kind of insult, that if a white man tells them something, they have to do it immediately because they don't want to be shot. And then not only do you fear for your life, but you know that nothing will happen to this white man. In fact, people will consider them a hero, or just like you had in the George Zimmerman situation, people will not only see him as a hero, but they will pay for him to be defended against the charge that he killed a black boy. And my, these are children, and this is what I always point out, regardless of what people say, these are children, that it's become legal for white men to go out on the street and kill children. And not mm-hmm. only do we not have any political recourse to it, and this is the failure of the justice system, but this is also the failure of black people. We do Not Not only do we not have recourse to it, but we're told that we can't do anything about it. <laughs> it, it and, it's, it's a ridiculous and, and, situation. And,
4: and one of our parenting models is to teach our children to cower to
7: it. Exactly. It, it, it socializes fear. It socializes fear into our people, right? And, 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 see, and this is what upsets me, that when we have these you know, academic discussions that are constantly making a way – I'm always criticizing the blogosphere and Salon and Twitter or black Twitter. When we have these conversations, people use it as a political talking point to make them sound smart. But it does not resonate with them that in doing that you are valorizing the death of a black person, usually a young black male, so that the people that look like him don't, that don't have access to Twitter and these fancy degrees have to live their lives in fear. It mm-hmm. creates a population of young black people that have mm-hmm. to do exactly what society tells them to do, or it's telling them that the price of you not obeying us is, is your life. Now, mm-hmm. what kind of message is Dad sending in a world where we pretend, where academics and blogosphere people pretend that we actually have freedom of speech, that we actually have equal rights, that we're claiming that we're fighting for democracy? It's a complete illusion. Rather, it's delusional.
4: One of the things that um, when I decided that we were going to change, uh, turn this hour into we had to do this um, and change our programming that was scheduled for tonight is because uh, it, one of the warnings I was coming on the air with was, don't uh, uh, don't don't start telling me about what his parents should have done, or his he should have done, or he and his boys should have done, and asking questions about uh, making the victim right. as this as this. Um, judicial process did putting jordan davis on uh on the stand
7: right right i mean you know i think we have tons of examples of this right and, and this this it infuriates me because what it suggests is that when black men, my wife and I were talking about this today, when young black men and boys are under attack, it always suggests that no matter the insult, no matter what happens to them, they could have always avoided it. It makes them seem as if even in the world where this guy is threatening you, or in the case of, think, of, think about the Trayvon Martin situation, where someone follows you and attacks you. that it's, it's your responsibility, because whatever happens, they're going to be right. It's your responsibility to avoid your own death. So, mm-hmm. it, 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 on the one hand, it says that the world is equal and balanced, and we're actually looking at the facts of the case. But on the other hand, it's a very insidious racism that tells black people, specifically young black men, that you know that this, this white man could kill you and your life is worth nothing, so you should have avoided the situation altogether. Right? Mm-hmm. But, the, mm-hmm. but what rational person does that? When they're attacked, they strike back. When they're fearful, they run. Right, all these are normal human reactions. But when we talk about this in relationship to a conflict, or to murder, or to an interracial conflict between a black man and a white man, then suddenly the black man has to, the black boy has to cower away. He has to do something that most human beings, most rational human beings, don't do. And when he doesn't act in that way, when he doesn't act as an inferior, he's then blamed for his own death. It's completely ridiculous. But we keep recycling these conversations.
4: Well, the, you know, but one of the ways. That I want to to break the recycling of the conversation is to take it to another dimension, into another dimension. We have parents who send their children to school, and they are schools where the environment is simply hostile to black boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm about to jack up a headmaster and some teachers at my grandson's school on Tuesday. Well, he is nearly six feet tall at 12 years old. He's a big kid. Most of his teachers are now looking at his shoulders when they talk to him. Mm -hmm. They are young teachers. They do not understand, and they are fearful of him. So... We send our kids to school and tell them that you have to toe the line. You have to understand that they have the power. So you've got to do everything perfect. My question on Tuesday is, what 12-year-old do you know that's perfect? Number one. Number two, why is a child who is essentially very, very gentle, and as a matter of fact, extraordinarily gentle, having hostile attitudes from teachers.
8: Mm-hmm.
4: It's because he's a black boy, and all black boys are set in the same mode. Absolutely. And we tell our children, you have to figure out how to contort yourself to fit into that environment rather than demanding that the environment change.
7: Exactly. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think we see this through all specters of society, where black men, because they're stereotyped and because they're viciously constructed and construed as being violent criminals, that in any interaction these these young men have, these children have, white people bring that phantasm up and put it on them. I mean, I see this even in my field. I can ask, if I ask a white person questions too aggressively, right, suddenly I become an attacker. People call me ferocious, a creature, right? These are the types of racist sentiments that, that, that affect black men specifically. But there's never any discussion of it. There's never any study of it. There's certainly no policy to address it. The way that we Mm -hmm. frame every conversation about black men is either that they're pathological criminals, and we have other black people in in, in the black community that do this as well. We frame them as super predators, as Elaine Brown would say. We we, we frame them as being violent and irrational. Then on the other hand, there's another story where somehow they become disengaged, privileged, economic elites that are constantly doing damage not only to themselves but align themselves with white people. And none, neither of these two conversations really capture the reality of what young black men go through because these black men who don't have access to any of these elite academic institutions where they have this male privilege conversation and these black men who are not, no longer, are not actually men yet that don't really have any kind of uh, alternative right, to the communities they're birthed in, do, those two stories don't capture the men that are stuck in black communities that are victims of violence that are victims of white vigilantism, right, that are victims of poverty. It assumes that these men, because they're somehow men, are either biologically trained to be animals and beasts that are irrational and dangerous, or they're somehow disengaged from the black community just trying to take advantage of everyone. And the ratio of the reality of black men and boys, the ratio of uneducated poor people who are, you know, constantly brutalized by state power, police, you know, disease, health, all kind of these, all these tragedies don't fail on anybody's radar because it's not profitable. It's much better for us to leave or uh, for the United States to leave something like stay your ground or the ability of white people to kill young black boys and make it look like it's a public service because it fits into the way that the government legitimates itself. We can constantly say these black boys are criminal. It's good that we shot a black boy. Yeah, you've taken one of these criminals off the streets. And then when we get to the people who are supposed to care about these boys, who are supposed to care about these children and our own people in the academy, they don't study them because it's not popular you're not rewarded. You don't get conversations with your oppressor and these white women and white men talking about how racist white people are because they're legitimating the killing of black boys and these and these children. It's just not how the system's set up. So then we have a situation like this happen, and as I said before with Trayvon Martin, we have absolutely no conceptual tools to talk about it besides racism. We don't want to talk about the specific vulnerabilities of these young black men. We don't want to talk about how people ignore them, how the legal justice system is allowing is legalizing the murder and, and conscious almost conscious justice the side of young black men by private citizens this wasn't even this wasn't even a cop he couldn't hide behind the state but now white citizens are being given the right to kill black boys purely off the base of their own fear and the belief that the rest of white society shares that fear with them and there is no conversation about that You'll see a blog every now and then that black men are are, are considered criminals. You'll see Melissa Harris-Perry come out and say, I'm glad I didn't have a son, but there is no systematic study or policy recommendation to deal with the issue that white people can kill these children and nobody says or does anything. And then the black community acts like they're scared because the same thing that happened with Trayvon. When people start marching, you had all the police become militarized, ready for a race riot. So not only does it constrain how black people can react, how other black men can fill in more in these types of situations, but it also militarizes the police to check and make sure that it maintains peace and order, or really repression in the black community when they react against these types of tragedies. We, if we don't wake up to see the systematic reinforcement of power in these communities and around these types of situations, then we're just going to keep letting it happen. Because we're, we're so resistant, I can tell you, especially in the Academy, we're so resistant to making an argument for why black men are vulnerable. Because it's not the bourgeois thing. It's not the, it's not the appropriate intersectional thing. So we deal with their deaths and erase them, and the whole time we want to talk about all kind of other intersections, be it sexual orientation, be it class, be it gender, etc. when the reality is materially black boys and black men are dying or being incarcerated. No one cares. No one cares.
4: Well, you know, it's, it's a matter of I, I, uh, uh, when I got the call, I get telephone alerts. Uh, when I got the call before, um, I, I guess, um, um, when the verdict was coming in, the first thing that came to my mind was the system cannot fail those. It was never built to protect. Exactly. And one of the things that we have not come to understand is that it is not so much about these individual cases, uh-huh. but the the systemic murdering absolutely. of our children absolutely, is systemic and it starts with inside the judiciary inside the judiciary and one of the things that I captured between uh, a comparative between the Zimmerman trial and the Dunn trial was that all of the black Witnesses were minimized, and mm-hmm. to to a certain degree, they were simply their testimony was simply dismissed. Absolutely. In any of the considerations that might have happened on this first degree mm-hmm. uh, charge, first degree
7: murder no, Absolutely right. Absolutely
4: right. The other is that Angela Corey. And her team did not take the first-degree murder charge seriously because, in the proceedings and in presenting their case, they did not press it.
7: Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think you know I'm one of those people that think that the state, uh, in fact, blew the Trayvon Martin trial on purpose just to di- just to defuse a uh, black protest, so that you can say, "Now we gave you a free trial." or a fair trial, it didn't work out your way, but you have no reason to uh, to, to revolt or protest.
4: Right? I, I think that people do have to understand the geographical uh, uh, locations uh, of the Zimmerman trial and this trial. One was in Sanford, Florida, and the other is in Jacksonville, Florida, and you're mm-hmm. talking about a matter of 200 miles.
8: Right, so I right. am
4: sure that this jury had in its mind, I am not going through the bullshit that... Uh, the Zimmerman jurors went through, went through right. on this, which is mm-hmm. why they evaded the press coming out of the trial tonight. Right. But, but, but one of the things that we, you know, we say we have, to change the, we have to change how we press for justice. But we're not willing to really take on the justice system.
7: No, not at all. We depend on it.
4: We're, we're not willing to under. We're not willing to somehow under uh, embrace that we have to strategically take on the justice system, mm-hmm. the probation system. I mean, we've got to take on all of those to get to the systemic, um, almost natural. I mean, this man just naturally shot.
7: Yeah, A boy. this boy. Mm-hmm. And
4: tomorrow, by the way, would have been his seventeenth birthday.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Tomorrow.
7: No, I,
4: mean,
7: um, no I, just, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we've talked about this before, but the reality is, is that people are too busy fighting about who should be in the spotlight, who should get the attention, in terms of you know who's in the news and which black people we should uh, focus on. That this just becomes a spectacle. I mean, people don't really consider themselves as fighting against the system. They, they see themselves as fighting to get recognition next to the other black person. Everybody's trying to make commentary so they can be Melissa Harris Perry, not so they can stop black people and black boys from getting shot in the streets. And this is a problem. This is a problem not only of the failure of the black academic class, but it's a failure the failure on the part of black activists and black politicians. People are rewarded for carrying and towing middle-class democratic virtues. Nobody's rewarded for being the Du Bois of the times or to be the Derrick Bell of the times to make these types of statements because those people either don't have jobs or they become unpopular. So then when you have people trying to organize around the fact that the justice system, that America is still fundamentally unjust, it's only lip service because those people are only saying that to sound radical. They're not trying to create a systematic study about how black men are vulnerable in this particular way or how black women are affected in this particular way. The study of black people is no longer popular. It no longer brings in money. So what you have are people that are, and I, just as I said in, my, you know, in the comment that you read, we're going to see tons of posts on Salon. We're going to see tons of posts on the Slate or Atlantic or whoever, whatever black person that decides to write something to get popularity and say, oh, this black person died but when when will there be an actual charge some, someone who writes a piece that says we need to come together on X Let's organize black lawyers on this issue Let's organize black academics on this issue Let's organize black politicians on this issue That's not going to happen Because for that to happen it means that people have to fundamentally divest themselves Of the interest they get from the system And because these black boys to be you know, either targeted as thugs or criminals or whatever Nobody wants to take on the burden of protecting or being associated with those types of people And that's just the reality of it It's not popular and it doesn't bring in any kind of cash So these are simply Mm -hmm. going to be talking points that people use for whatever momentary popularity they can get.
4: And if truth be told, until we saw his parents, until you saw his parents, you know that you just thought he was a thug, just like the man said.
8: Mm -hmm.
4: He was hanging out with his boys. Most people that I talked to thought it happened in the middle of the night. In the middle Mm -hmm. of the night, it was broad
7: daylight. Right. Because they they draw up these images. Right, like, there's an image, there's there's a negrophobia of black men that sees them wearing hoodies and traveling in dark, you know, not lit, you know, alleys. And that, you know, this white man was protecting himself. That they rolled up on him in a gas station playing that loud gangster music and threatened this white man's life. There's never any concept or scenario where black men can can get other people to recognize how threatened we are by white people.
4: Mm -hmm.
8: You see, and that's
7: that's what's not part of the collective imagination. You can have... And there are
4: some things that his his legal strategy understood about how we think.
7: Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely.
4: One of them is how we think about this music. Now, you know I just can't get with... The, I mean, I play my music so loud that my panels don't shake, don't vibrate, because I, 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 I got that kind of system. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we know how we drive up on um in, in in Boston is just awful. The little tiny car's got this huge sound coming out of, it and the whole car yes. is vibrating and and we know how we get aggravated about that but what doesn't in what informed this wastered w a s t a r d uh for his Tracking, going into his car and getting his gun, was that he felt entitled to tell some black boys where their place was, and that's exactly. where we've got to be thinking through exactly. on it.
7: Right, and this is, and again, this is you know, as you as you see in my post, I mean, this is this is why we have to understand what violence does. Right now, we focus on the effect of violence on bodies. Right. Who gets killed, who gets shot, you know, who gets abused, etc. But we don't look at how violence socializes people. So we don't look at how violence instills fear and how it, how it creates a license, a type of individual sovereignty for white people to do what they want. It's through intimidation. It's through this, this fear that black people uh, have of losing their lives that white people get to treat them in very particular ways. It's just like slavery. No, no black person enjoyed being enslaved, but the fear of death kept people in slavery. So you have to think about how powerful violence is, that it would, create, it would create a subhuman person, make a black person subhuman and put them in subhuman conditions. But the fear of death was so powerful that it would make them stay there. And this is, this is what we see happening when we talk about young black men in America. We see violence after violence, police shootings, private white citizens or white vigilante shootings, the prison industrial complex. Black men being searched and uh, stopped and frisked and sexually assaulted in public on the street. We see all this happen, and no one says anything about it. There is no alleged violation of rights that's going on. Because he's dead, well, that may have been a wrongdoing, but this, we don't think about how this affects other young black men and boys. And what this creates in our society is that type of repressive slave mentality where you don't have people that are going to fight for their rights because they're scared of death. And that's the reality of the situation before us that nobody wants to talk about.
4: Mhm mhm. Yeah you, you know uh it, it it's really interesting because then it becomes a catch 22 as our cho- as our as our boys. You know one of the things that I've learned I never had boys in my in my family until my grandson was born and one of the things that I noticed is how different he is and his responses to certain kinds of things as opposed to how my granddaughter who is his older sister approached those same kinds of things like mm-hmm. he grumbles a lot more <laughs> yeah. about chores and and she was just happy to do it and he just grumbles as he's doing it and and he procrastinates more and, and, and I think that one of the things we have to think through is why our prisons are so filled with so many raging black men. And that mm-hmm. is because they have to navigate so much violence in their young lives. Absolutely. Police, police violence, uh, hostility at school. Um, I read something the other day that says that when boys don't do well at school, it really uh, uh, ba- it unbalances them much more than girls. Mm-hmm.
7: Um,
4: yeah, there are lots so, of
7: unique vulnerabilities black men have. Yeah,
4: and, and, I, and I agree with you that um, our scholastic research, our academic research has been negligent. In regard to looking at these differences, you know, don't get me started about these uh, manhood, boyhood, uh, community organizations that have dinners for the manhoods and the boyhoods, and and that's about putting on some suits and ties and talking to them about being like Barack Obama. Yeah. All of that is well and good. But, oh, and I, I just want, I really wanted to talk to you. I was going to call you uh, to ask you what you thought about uh, the president's new initiative to have conversations with, he said, boys of color. But I don't know any boys of color. The boys of color didn't get born yet.
8: Right, but right. But he's
4: talking about black and Latino boys, primarily. Um, and whether or not he... He's going to be talking about the fact that George Zimmerman and Michael Dunn were given forgiveness for killing. I mean, I think about it, Tommy. I think about it. This boy died on the pavement of a gas
7: station. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's... there's no I mean, way to kind of. There's no way to justify something like that. Forgiveness exactly. should be given in that situation.
4: Trayvon Martin in the dark in the rain, uh, yeah. within walking distance of his home. And yeah. you're absolutely right. What is the image and 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 to what extent extent do, do these things just create sinkholes in the souls? Of our children. well I mean, look,
7: I mean, you know the you know Obama's program, you know the the Brothers Keeper, I think it's called the Brothers Keeper Initiative or whatnot. Um, is that what he,
4: he's calling it? The Brothers. I think that's people? what he's
7: calling it. I, I read uh-huh. about it a few days ago. I mean, look, this is I'm I'm happy to see that somebody's doing something, um, but I mean, I think it's a little too little, too late because. <laughs> While it may create reform, and, and I have to be honest with you because I'm tired of seeing yeah. black men die, right? And, and I'll give you a good example of this. Let me, let me give you a really good example about this. Um, there was a recent publication by Paul Butler called uh, Black Male Exceptionalism where he actually argued that black men should not get these types of programs because he thought it was patriarchal, right? And he said that one of the problems with creating programs to help young black men who are disproportionately affected by these things, is that there's are still men in this society. So it perpetuates patriarchy. So they have to make sure that any program that black men have, has, they have to have a sister program to equally help black women, right, to make sure that it doesn't come off as sexes. And the reception that this piece, uh, despite its lack of empirical evidence, got from the academy is just mind-blowing, right, because there's this assumption that if you specifically target black young black men and boys, despite them being on the bottom of poverty, being overrepresented in terms of incarceration, being overrepresented in this, you know, special education, being represented in terms of the, the highest you know, dropout rates, all these social problems, that somehow that comes out as immoral, right? That's also what it says, that you're being sexist, immoral, et cetera, right? And I have to listen to these people, and I have to ask myself, why can't we deal with the problems that exist in the black community? So if you have a situation where black boys are being killed by the state, being killed by white vigilantes, then why can't we create programs to address that? Why is that not a moral good in and of itself? If something is disproportionately affecting the sisters, then let's create programs to deal with that, right? Why can't When we talk about black people, for some reason, black people are the only people where the idea or our imaginations we have about them abstractly matter more than the concrete situations they deal with. So we'd rather create an artificial debate about some ethical issue while we can't do anything for black people, while black people will still remain at the bottom of everything because we're still, we haven't philosophically worked out what's ethical, what's not racist, etc. The reality, and I say this over and over again, the reality is that black boys are dead. There's no debating that. The consequences of the status quo is that black boys and young black men are dying, and nobody can seem to get that through their damn skulls. That while people are making arguments, while people are publishing these articles, while people are having these debates, while people are trying to talk to white people and get recognition, these people can no longer live. And the effect of that is that these dead black boys, like a Dunn, like a Trayvon Martin, like an Oscar Grant, inevitably become that other people get to talk for them. Other people get to interpret their lives for them, and they're usually misinterpreted. Because we, mm-hmm. we see Obama doing something, and we say, yay, Obama, because that feeds our symbolism of Obama, not the tragedy of these black boys dying. We're, mm-hmm. we're still missing the point.
4: You know, and, and, and one of the things that has been so disheartening, uh, Dr. Curry, uh, especially uh, the case where the police officer crushed the testicles of the yeah. uh, 15-year-old yeah. boy. Nobody's yeah, talking, Nobody's talking too much about that. That is so symbolic about what is happening to black boys in this country.
7: No, Well, you know, I wrote an article about it, but I was told that, you know, I I privilege black men too much, right? (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think that when you're talking about people like Darren Manning, Uh, And just all these other abuses that young black men go through, there is a tendency not to construct that in terms of his complete viciousness. In other words, we'll see something like Darren Manning happen, and we don't want to sexualize it because we're like, he's a man. And, you know, men can't be sexually assaulted. Somebody castrating them on the street by stopping and frisking them is a sexual assault. And this is a 16-year-old boy who now can no longer have children. But this feeds into this vicious pathology that we have of black men as super predators, right? The idea is that if we, you know, the same thing when we talk about the sterilization of black women. women. The reason that they do that is because they don't want them to reproduce. So by killing off black men, by making sure these black men can no longer reproduce, it is somehow believed that they're decreasing the racial pathology that exists in the world. And this is a very insidious type of racism that no one wants to comment on. We're still Mm -hmm. talking about equality. We're still talking about, you know, rights. We're not talking about this.
4: We need to put it in the context of the same argument that we make that we get tired of the LGBTQ community comparing uh, their civil rights issues to those of black people. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like rape in prisons, in, in male prisons, happen very differently than rapes in, in, in female prisons. Right. One is one problem, and another is the other, and the other is the other problem.
7: Right. Doctor Curry, we do you have, to... have
4: time to take some calls?
7: Yes, ma'am, I do. Yes, ma'am.
4: Okay, but go ahead and make your point.
7: Well, no, I was going to say, that, look, we, certainly we should be intelligent enough, given all the crap that people write in terms of post-structural language, to conceptualize two different versions of the same event. So, if black mm-hmm. men can be raped in prison. Nothing about that changes for recognizing that, white, that women can be raped in, in the female prisons. It doesn't change the fact that rape and sexual assault happens to women, and it shouldn't change that if we acknowledge that sexual assault and violence happens to young black men and boys. There's mm-hmm. nothing about these things that are mutually exclusive, but people have certain political investments that make sure that one is talked about and the other one's erased.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and, you know, and going back to this verdict and this jury and the forgiveness that they extended uh, to Michael Dunn.
8: Right.
4: Uh, And I don't believe for a minute that Angela Corey's case on the first degree in a retrial is going to do very much, but I think, and I want you all to hear me very clearly, that we ought to demand it, because that is the way in which we honor and we recognize that a life has been lost here, and this man took the life, and he should be held accountable.
8: You're listening to
4: Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and our guest tonight is Dr. Tommy J. Curry, who has been so kind at the very last minute to uh, <laughs> agree to join us tonight. 916, you're on the air. Our number is 347 We're serving up justice here at
6: Our Common Ground.
4: Nine one like on.
6: two. Hi, this is Monica Dennis. How are you?
4: Good, thank you, Monica, for joining us tonight. It's a very, very sad night in, in It's very in sad. Community.
6: It's very sad and um I hadn't been watching the trial because I was just so outdone with what happened with the Trevon Martin. So I haven't even looked at the news or anything. I just, you know, found out on the internet about the verdict and it's very sad. And I have a daughter that's attending um, the Thune-Cookman in Daytona Beach, and so I called her and just, you know, was asking her, you know, what's going on over there and just, you know, telling her to be safe and, you know, stay close to campus tonight. But that's one of my concerns is that the young people really don't seem to be aware, and and so that's a real concern for me because, um, you know, these things keep happening, and so – You know, we adults, we, you know, we understand the, you know, the problems that, you know, that bring about this, these type of things. And so my whole thing is that people just need to start targeting these laws and, you know, um, and so that's my encouragement to people is, you know, to start organizing around, you know, backing up the Dream Defenders organization and start attacking these laws. But I agree with everything, that you know, that you guys have been saying, and I just wanted to call in and say, you know, that little bit.
4: Well, thank you, Monica, and you bring up a very good point, and that is that we seem to shrivel up over time over issues. Uh, the dream defenders under philip the leadership of Phil, Philip Agnew, they are still trying to get the stand your ground laws eliminated in in the state of Florida. The problem is that our Our focus, our our, uh, concentration uh, seems to be very limited, and over time we forget about, you know, like people have forgotten about, like I was running around in the store uh, today trying to find Arizona uh, or California oranges because all the oranges seem to be from Florida. Well, I'm not buying anything from Florida,
8: (laughs) and I had to explain
4: that to the produce manager and they did find me some California oranges, but we forget that we make these commitments. When Troy Davis died, when when Emmett Till died, when when, uh, Oscar Grant died, when Trayvon Martin was murdered, we forget we made the commitment to never forget. Mm -hmm. The other is that our priorities seem to be and, and Dr. Curry, correct me if i'm wrong, our priorities seem to get kind of like uh, obscured mm. uh in all of this. And we forget that and we forget to see the pattern. No,
7: absolutely. Absolutely. Black people black people lack racial causes to understand actual structural and systemic patterns of racism these days. And that's the most unfortunate point because we keep thinking these are incidences and they're somehow not connected because we don't have public discussions. We don't, we don't radicalize and educate our own people about what's happening to them and what makes it happen. So, again, like I said, this is why this is going to be just like Mandela dying or Biko's birthday or you know, Stuart Hall. This is going to be a Facebook moment where people are upset for about a week and then we'll go on to our normal uh, business until this happens again. In the same time that this is happening, we're going to lose hundreds of black boys, hundreds of black children, black girls and black women are going to be made vulnerable (laughs) to abuse because we don't understand what violence against black people, what anti-blackness actually means.
4: Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Stuart Hall, and I will talk about that in the second hour. Um, We lost one of the most important cultural theorists uh, in our lifetime, um on uh, February 10th, um, he was a sociologist who lived and worked in the United Kingdom, but we'll talk about that in the second hour. But, Monica, one of the things is, you know, I keep asking on this broadcast every week, uh, what is our end game? Are we still yeah. going to... Are, are we still going to, you know, the thing is that we tolerate, we tolerate, we we will tolerate the stand-your-ground laws, which, by the way, we have to keep in mind, and nobody can correct me on this, that there are so many Jordan Davises where it never goes to trial, it uh-huh. never goes to the grand exactly. jury, there is never a charge. Right. The Spirit Project in Atlanta is ch- starting to track black bodies to lynching, continuing lynchings in the South. Susan, Susan Smith, Dr. Susan Smith was on this program last week, and we were talking about the project where they are tracking, starting to track, you know, a dead body here and a dead body there, nobody knows what happened And essentially what's happening is white supremacists are acting individually and collectively and with a plan. Mm. I mean, when you see there were four um, white supremacists uh, arrested in Florida about a week ago, and you look at the geography where they lived, Somebody needs to be tracking how many black bodies they found in that geographical area. Mhm. That nobody knows what happened. The young man that was rolled up in the in the wrestling um mat.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah.
4: Yes. Um we we're not staying on that. Oh
7: well, again, but we, we don't see can... this connected.
4: Exactly.
7: We don't see this connected. We, exactly. we don't see, we don't, we don't still understand that white people have a very real racial aversion to black people. And we don't understand mm-hmm. that that comes out in terms of the violence and death of black folk. We just mm-hmm. think, again, and this is kind of the miseducation of our own people, is that we fundamentally believe that this is just our disagreements about whether or not black people should get affirmative action or whether or not black people should be hired or if black people should get, you know, reparations. We don't understand that the consequence of racism is death and this is this is this is our fault that part's our fault now we've been that's been imposed on us right, and this has been imposed on us even through the kind of weak intellectuals we have today. but the point is that we are not we have not made those people answer for what they teach our children and for how they teach our children to deal with this anti black world Mhm true.
4: Mm-hmm. and the the, other the, thing... other, the the other thing I do want to mention is don't remember don't forget that during the um, one period in this country, the government's whole objective was suppression of black anger.
6: Exactly.
4: Go ahead, Monica. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
6: Oh, That's okay. The other thing I was going to just say is that so many of us are influenced by the images that we get on the media of our um, black males, like, when there's an incident in your community and they blast a picture and they put the worst picture of the person on the TV screen. And so it just further projects that fear of our young black men as well. And so that, that makes it difficult for people to drum up sympathy when some of these things happen, just like you said, those, that incident with um, Jordan happening in in the daylight, you know, um, not in the dark of night, you know, when you think something like that would happen. So, You know, it's just like blatant, you know, these people, these young men, they're not worth anything that you can just go out and shoot them in the daylight now. You you don't even have to hide behind the, you know, the dark of the night. And then the other thing, can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. And then the other thing, um, you know, uh, another good point is that people, you know, we can't keep complaining about these verdicts if we don't register to vote to be a part of the jury pool. You well, know, and um, we
4: also can't get on juries and sit there and and become a Pillsbury dough uh, box that 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 melts.
6: Exactly. There,
4: there were blacks on this jury.
6: hmm There
4: were two blacks on this well, jury.
6: What a shame! What <laughs> a
4: shame. But then there's another piece. See, all of this, Monica and 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 Dr. Curry, it has to be connected. Our community is not preparing us to be, one, informed voters, and two, not informing us to take on our civic responsibilities properly. If I was the president of the Black Nation, uh, I would have jewelry schools outside of the system. You could come to the local church and learn how to think through. I mean, we got enough lawyers in our community to do this and have a civic academy. When I was a young black panther in the 1960s, we had street academies Mm -hmm. where we went to where the kids were to teach them how to interact with the police department, how to interact at their schools, how to figure out working out family problems that caused them to be homelessness. And, yes, there was homelessness in 1960.
1: Of course there was,
4: right. So right. we got to grab this bull by the horn and stop worrying about people like Chris Christie, they get rid of Chris Christie, they're going to find another corrupt politician. Take his exactly. Place. Okay? Absolutely. When the President Obama leaves, the same agenda, the same imperialist, elitist agenda will remain in the West Wing. Absolutely. We should not be fooling ourselves that... We're going to change the system that is designed for us to fail. We've got to create, you know, I was thinking the other day about this whole notion of villages. We've got to go back, as my dear sister and I, and she is so much in my thoughts over the last couple of weeks, my dear sister and friend Dr. Julia Hare always said that we have got to preserve and build the bridges that bring us across safely uh-huh.
7: yeah. but that but that's a different but you know Jenna, that's a different era in engagement with your own people. I mean, I think today i mean this is i mean this may sound a little cliche, but today, black folk don't respect the black masses. <laughs> right? So when, when you talk about, when you're talking about street academies and we were talking about black power activists or Black Panther activists educating the masses, they had a different view. They believed that power came from the people themselves, from black people advocating, protesting, and become socially and legally involved. Today, they centralized knowledge. So the people, I mean, think about it. The people that we look to to have and carry the broad opinion of black folk are, gonna, are employed by white news stations. So when you think about the Huffington Post Live, when you think about MSNBC, you have black intellectuals that give progressive messages, but that's supposed to be the intellectual Absolutely. talking heads of black people. So it's not an attempt to educate the masses to get them to understand and think for themselves, but to repeat what these black people, these chosen black folk, have to say. It's a it's a completely well, different way of viewing black black liberation.
4: Well, I mean, we had uh, the Boulay. We had to deal with the boulet. We had to deal, deal, deal with the bourgeoisie of the civil rights movement. We had to deal with the bourgeoisie of the get rich quick crowd. I mean, we had a lot of uh, a lot of those people, but I think that we have to start retooling around what is today 's solution using the same principle of community. Empowerment, Monica, right. thank you so very much for your call. I'm so glad thank you're with us. Thank you, guys, us. for all you
6: do. Yes, thank absolutely. you.
4: Bye-bye. Um, we're going to take uh, a break. and Dr. Curry, how much more time I got with you?
7: You got a little bit. We're good.
4: Okay. Uh, I see you 443, and I'll come right back to you if you're listening to us and would like to join in the robust discussion in our unmoderated chat room, and there are no trolls Uh, that we have to kick in the ass tonight, and you can come over at www.blogtalkradio.com. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we're going to just go ahead, because I had spent most of the day preparing um, for our Black History um, Games so we're going to enjoy some of those as we come in and out of breaks in any case. I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground with my guest tonight, Dr. Tommy J. Curry of Texas A&M University. He's professor of Philosophy and Africana Studies. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. <laughs> Now, back to Our Common Ground.
0: And I'm running into mothers who sit down and complain to their three- and four-year-olds about how bad times are.
4: So I never heard my mother complain. If she did any complaining, she would be complaining to her girlfriend. But you see, some of us have even gotten alienated from our sisters that we don't even have anybody to talk to. So we talk to our children
0: as if they were adults. They can't solve our problems. We were given these
6: children to solve their problems.
0: But what were some of these proverbs that these women mentioned? And these proverbs, we understand, are the daughters of experience. And one woman who was born in 1877 said, "To thine own self be true, then thou cannot be false to any other person.'" You're known by the company that you keep. and people say, were you with him? you be saying, well, I didn't do that. Or, were you with her? If you were with them, then you were guilty. One that I like is that any frog is a fool if he does not praise his own pond.
4: We hope you'll join us on February 22nd as we continue our celebration of Black History Month here at Our Common Ground. Joining us, Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose. She is a clinical sociologist, professor, community leader and consultant. She is a Fulbright Fellow to Africa, a past distinguished sociology scholar, and of course my soror in the sisterhood of Delta Sigma Theta. Dr. Rogers Rose is an editor of The Black Woman, a comprehensive social psychological look on black women. Co-editor of Every Black Woman Should Wear a Red Dress and River of Tears. She is also the co-author with her late brother, Dr. James T. Rogers, of Strategies for Resolving Conflicts in Black Male and Female Relationships. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose, founder and CEO of the International Black Women's Congress, will be joining us here at Our Common Ground, February 22nd, and I'll be listening you. Drilling down, down. just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty.
3: This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio.
4: The Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network, Fridays, 10 p.m.
5: India Declare, real, raw, and right now.
4: Join India Declare, real, raw, and right now, Fridays and Saturdays. 11 a.m. It's the I Declare Friday and Saturday Brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday. India Declare at the I Declare Brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live. Friday and Saturday morning, 11 a.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio.
5: India Declare. Real. Raw and right now.
9: In this you, die, you can't forget your, past. So dry your tears, I say
3: I my peeps away.
10: Although segregated seating on buses and in stations was outlawed in 1960, many places still would not allow people of different races to sit together. So a daring group of civil rights workers decided to ride around the United States to test the law. You would think riding a bus together would be easy, but some people did not like the idea of racial equality. Their buses were attacked and burned. They were searched, beaten up, and arrested. Martin Luther King said this about how their brave nonviolent action was reacted to by some authorities. Never in the history of this nation Have so many
3: people been arrested for the cause
10: of freedom and human dignity? But the freedom riders persisted. They kept on riding, and their bravery ushered in the next stage of civil rights, which insisted that people follow the law and respect the rights and freedoms of all.
9: Try your
5: tears, I say. Transforming truth of power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janet.
4: Somebody back in the back room better check their sound levels. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. This is Our Common Ground. We preempted our annual our common ground black history games which we had 20 questions where you get 10 points and you call in give your score after you take the challenge and you could pick up more scores with our bonus points and we will be doing that at another time and we will let you know and if you want to know you can join us on facebook and like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at Janice OCG, Our Common Ground, uh, many, many websites. <laughs> Dr. Tommy J. Curry is with us as we talk about how we face uh, the oppression, the murder, and suppression of black boys in our community. And we thank you for being with us. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. if you'd like to join this conversation. Uh, a little bit about what's going on at, at TruthWorks Network. We still have the Alpha Show on Friday nights at 10 p.m. And um, Indy Declare After Dark is coming back on TruthWorks on Tuesday nights starting in March so she can hit the black women's history thing uh and we hope that you will join us and you can hear more about that from her and from I declare media and we welcome her back to India After Dark so uh, and in regard to um Truth Works Fire with Dr. Matthew V Johnson uh we will be providing you more information as we retool uh, for that program that will air on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. We are growing, and we hope that you will share us with your friends. Dr. Curry, one of the things I did want to uh, cover with you is that whether or not you believe that within our own community there is enough balance between, uh, or enough definition, enough framing of whether or not we are encouraging black boys to be leaders in our community. I know that we are encouraging them to go to college, get a good job, get a nice wife, have some nice children, Mm -hmm. um, but... Are we encouraging them to really be leaders in our community across the spectrum
7: yeah i, I, I really don't think that we are um, I think for the most part that we we have actually abandoned young black boys uh you know especially at the university level um you know we don't we don't encourage their success most of the times we assume they're going to be a failure from the start of the project. Uh, I've I've worked with Urban Debate Leagues back in the day. I've worked with, you know, uh, at-risk youth. And in all these situations, what I find is that there's a very dangerous neglect uh, to the problems of young black men, where even teachers uh, that I would expect, you know, care about their students uh, simply don't engage them. I remember once I was doing this, um, it's not a Head Start program, but it was a similar high school program at Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, and they wanted to teach them how to debate. And I remember, you know, talking to them about, you know, these theories of cultural de- uh, deprivation and inferiority. And one young black one was like, well, it's not that black people have a culture of inferiority, it's young black men. And I took this seriously because you have to think these are 13-, 14-year-olds. So I think that what we have in our community is this kind of view that black men and black boys are a problem. Now, that's not to say that there aren't certain black people, uh, talented young black uh teenagers black female teachers black parents black men themselves in the community that aren't trying to you know remedy this problem But for the most part, I think that the black community uh, itself buys into some of these racist caricatures. I think a lot of black people are themselves fearful of young black men. We don't look at them as being victims of a racist uh, system. We don't look at them as being victims of poverty. We don't even look at them being victims of violence. And I think that in our own communities, what we do is we kind of suggest, well, this is just the way it is. So let's save the good ones. Or this is just how this group is. Let's save the good ones. I mean, I remember seeing an article about whether or this generation was lost right? Was this black generation just lost And so we should just cut our losses And when I see things like that It infuriates me because I know what population They're talking about right? Because we, have, we do have a problem with our black men Our sisters are going through problems as well But disproportionately right? Black men are falling out of college Disproportionately they're being incarcerated Disproportionately they're dying in the streets Because of homicide and violence So when I see these types of things I don't think that we're equipped in the, equipping them To deal with that reality We tell black boys, as you say, go to college, get a wife, et cetera. Or worse yet, yet, we do the most debasing and insulting thing, which is tell black men to return to the home where they're being politically and economically assassinated on all fronts in America. But Obama has no problem doing things like that. And And because it comes from Obama, we say, yes, this is the message for our black males. When the question becomes, well, what happens when those black males return to homes which are impoverished? What happens when those black males return to homes and communities that are violent? What happens when those black males try to start families but can't find employment? Right? Nobody asks those systematic questions. We just keep letting everything be decided by our morality and what we think rather than an actual concrete study of what black people and black communities actually need. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, so no i don't I don't think we're training them to be leaders. I think that we're trying to you know make them more religious. I think you've got idiots like Steve Harvey, who starts off as a comedian funneling money to make them more you know uh proselytizing to them all day. but I don't think that that actually changes how they conceptualize their world, and I don't think it prepares them to take on jobs like being doctors, lawyers, et cetera, that are advocating from a race conscious basis of what particularly affects their groups and their communities
4: uh-huh, okay. Well, I think you you covered that one. <laughs> because what's well, disappointing, I As you do know, it's... think that there is a gender disparity in our community when we see dead dead black boys at the gas station on the concrete, and nothing shifts. The whole f- Excuse me. I hope you all have any children out there. The whole fucking world should have shifted. The
7: uni- right. the universe
4: should have started spinning the opposite way.
7: Right. Yeah.
8: Absolutely and that, right. You're that, absolutely that's, right. that's
4: about Oscar Grant. That's about Trayvon Martin.
8: Mm-hmm.
4: L- let's go to our phones before I get started. Four four three. I respect you. Thank you for calling.
6: Hi. Good evening, Janet. This is Patricia from Baltimore.
4: Good, morning. How you Good evening, Patricia J. How are you?
6: Fine, fine. Hello, Dr. Curry. Hi,
7: hey, ma'am. How are you doing?
6: Fine. I have a question for you. I was wondering, do you think that um, some of the, the, do you think that the the racial socialization messages we give to our boys has changed, and if so, do you think that it has something to do with, the perceived surveillance that maybe some boys may be experiencing over others who, other parents who think that they're boys or not?
7: When you say surveillance, what what do you have in mind?
6: Well, um, like state surveillance, you mm-hmm. know, the police. All right. Yeah,
7: I think, look, I mean... I think that what we we have felt as a black community. I'm, I'll speak generally. I'll speak specifically. I think as a black community, we have not modernized our messages and our and our education to talk about the ways that the police state is continuing to surveil and repress us. So when you get people like Huey P. Newton talking about covert, you know, surveillance, uh, COINTELPRO. In his dissertation on the war against the Panthers We have not adopted that language We're still stuck in the 1960s I have a dream, let's protest type language Without understanding how the state And specifically the police state Has modernized the ways of violence and repression In our communities That being said, I think that when we talk about black boys Or talk to black boys There's two things that go on there I think because we really do have this kind of Cultural politics and respectability Where as I said, the good black people Are middle class black people That can speak for the rest of black folk when our young black men don't live up to that image, right? When they don't be see, when they're not seen or don't have access to be the college educated, well spoken, well dressed uh, person, then we simply abandon them. And then on the other side, when they end up in this kind of very real legal trouble or encounter the criminal justice system, or the prison-industrial complex, we see, we take this kind of vindicationist stance. Well, well, the systems mess up. That's absolutely true, but we're not educating black men to avoid the system. We're leaving black men out there on the streets to fend for themselves. We're leaving, they're disconnected from families, disconnected from the economy, and only have negative experiences practically in every social sphere of their life. And then we come back and we judge them rather than trying to guide them in different paths. And again, I always say this is a function not only of how our, we're socially buying into the pathology of black men and, try to, and socialize them either to be problems or to disengage from society, but it's also part and, ter- you know, part and parcel of how the academy and the people we should put in charge of teaching our children buy into these same kind of racist caricatures. Because there's nothing coming out of the university on this. And even in education that's doing critical race theory, there's nothing coming out that's specific to young black men and this kind of approach. And even when we talk about the radicals, and you know, again, I'll use MSNBC or Huffington Post, nobody is talking about community surveillance. No one is talking about police state repression. Nobody wants to have that conversation. Because in the era of Obama, we're supposed to all be on the cheerleading side and say, oh, he's doing stuff for the black community, when we've had more militarization of police forces and, and more private surveillance with Prism and all these drones than anything else. And what populations do we think they're gonna that they're going to impose that kind of informational surveillance on? This is just history. This is just figuring out how these people and how the police want to make money off of black bodies. I mean we got we have to start putting two and two together. And we're not socializing our boys, specifically our young black men, to encounter this kind of reality. We're still stuck on be a great person. Get back into the household without talking about any of the mechanisms or the state apparatuses that perpetuate repression on them. It's, it's ignorance. It's, it's just complete ignorance where we think that one moment in history captures the reality of the rest of Black people for the rest of the time. It's,
5: it's stupidity.
4: Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Patricia, we're so glad to always have you at our common ground. This is the sanctuary for for the Black truth of the matter.
7: <laughs> Thank you. Glad we appreciate the question.
4: Thank you for your call. And we're going to go to 773. You are on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call.
3: Good evening, Janice, and good evening to your guest, Dr. Curry. Yes, sir. Good
4: evening, Alpho. Good to hear from you. I'm I'll, honored.
3: Let me <laughs> – you know I am. <laughs> let me say this. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, – a good doctor, and yourself, Janice. And I think we give too much credence to situations like um, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey is a comedian who all of a sudden wants to wade into the political and cultural and the black. He started out as a comedian. He's still a comedian. It's people like, uh, what's the doctor's name? Ben Karn? Ben, what's his name? Ben Karn. Car- yeah,
7: the ben conservative doctor?
3: Yeah, the conservative doctor. Yeah, he Carson.
4: started off dividing, uh Siamese twins. <laughs> right,
3: right, <laughs> exactly. But he's waded into the conservative uh, attack machine along with uh, Mr. 999 and... Name uh, yourself. These other, Yeah, these other conservative uh, blacks who want to give the wink and the nod to the bigotry. We are facing the pushback of being called race baiters. Like uh, Dr. mentioned MSNBC, you won't hear anybody talking about it. You won't hear anybody talking about it because they've all had to apologize for something uh, that is so uh, trivial but yet they keep them on, their, on pins and needles and to watch what they say. They will call them race baiters. This is a, a systemic and systematic attack from a, a mindset of the right that nothing goes unchallenged. These people push back immediately on any and everything that is said and done when it comes to race. This president is not going to save anyone. He's not going to save anyone and I think the, the more we understand that the more that we have to turn into ourselves the people who the middle class blacks who are suspected to be are supposed to be the role models have to look at the blacks who are less fortunate and the blacks who are less fortunate aren't listening they could care less about the, uh, the, many of them don't know a Jordan Davis Or the, the trial even went on I, asked, I just, just this evening I spoke to two people who are really distant uh, acquaintances One is the mother of two of my grandchildren
5: Never heard
3: of the Jordan Davis Dunn case And I was, I was, I was knocked over and, and she lives in North Carolina Never heard of uh, Governor McQuarrie, or that the, the water is uh, being tainted down there, and all of the other political and relevant topics that you hear about, but they—they're just not paying attention. The poverty that they are entrenched in, the whoever set that thermostat for the temperature of the black community. These people are in a in a wake up every morning and just try to make it to work if you have a job right but the last thing they're listening to is the politics and the logic they're not you know teaching our the, the young black men is not on their itinerary the agenda is not to teach the young black men to survive and that's what we have to also take into you know we have to take that into accord it, it's it's even bigger than what we have uh, acknowledged it to be. This, this scenario with uh, these people in Florida, uh, Janice, you posted a, a thing where a Klansman boasted in Florida about having people in high places in the state, politicians, judges, policemen, you know, and, you're absolutely, and it, it, was, it was spot on. He was just stupid enough to open his mouth about it. That this this uh, that system down there in Florida with Angela Corey reeks of bigotry. The mistakes that are being constantly made and being pointed out, just blown up by other attorneys who are pundits, and they're simply pointing out the mistakes that are made. So is it but it to this man's neighbor?
4: We, 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 we're talking about, you talk about the system down there in Florida and the prosecutor's office. When Benjamin Crump was breaking it down, cold-blooded murder of Trayvon Martin, we didn't like him because he didn't talk like us.
3: Well, no, no, no. We didn't like him because what he, I did not like him because what he failed to do was put a pen in it. He didn't call it exactly what it was. That was just a case of not just uh jury nullification for the law that was a that was a great instance of just flat out bigotry. Look at the environment that these jurors had to go home to had they convicted uh Zimmerman
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know one right. of the
4: things tommy and and alpha that I thought about uh uh with this jury when they started call, uh, coming back in. Asking to review evidence and have questions for the for the judge is I don't know if you saw the movie Jungle Fever, but remember when the white girl went home after the father found out she was going with the black man and he took off his belt and beat her brutally. I thought about that. Said so you're right. These
3: jurors have to go home. These jurors have to go home, and it's that simple. When you have a man who shoots and You know, he was, and this is where the prosecution failed also. This man shot from the vehicle. He wasn't standing and shooting into, he shot from his car. He didn't get out because Jordan Davis didn't get out. Well, uh,
4: they tried to present the case as if Jordan Davis uh, went out. The forensic, uh, mechanical evidence was Jordan Davis was killed inside his car inside the you know, car that's what
3: I'm saying. Janice that's but, what but, I'm saying the bullets the angle of the bullets were fired upward at a slight angle because this man fired from his car that's but you know the, the, the,
4: the idea of how we think uh, Dr. Curry how Alpha thinks how which is why I call it the black truth is that we know this Wastard went, went to the hotel, had a drink, ordered pizza right. because he thought that he had done something righteous and he would get away, from, away with it because they were thugs. I mean, he even wrote a letter from jail talking about the thugs in jail. And I am hoping that they play lo- lots of loud music for him tonight, and I, I am hoping that he gets some mustis, which is music justice, uh, in, in 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 wherever he goes to jail. Well, but the question to- is, Alpha, will 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 President Obama talk about? The forgiveness of white men in the murdering of black boys in his what did what did you call it, Dr. Curry, the my brother's high side, Keeper.
7: The, What is it? Do you, you mean my his initiative for black boys?
4: My yeah. brother's
3: Keeper initiative.
4: Yeah.
7: Will he okay, talk
3: about but, that? Well, will, will Obama address it? No, because he has been beaten back with this uh, race baiting uh, sound machine coming from the right. He doesn't want to get into that uh, debate of when when he spoke out on behalf of Trayvon Martin. Listen, look at what look at how they didn't just push back; they pushed back with a tsunami, 40, 50 talk show, right wing talk show.
4: Well, he should have learned from from trying to defend um, Professor Doctor right. Skip Gates.
3: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, with the beer with the beer summit. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, this is, like I say, this isn't something that just happened chance. This is, this is systematic. This, this is exactly. the long game. Just exactly. like they took down affirmative action. Just like they took down and made the race card a bad, uh, a bad term. This is about the, the. This, this is the plan. This is the long yeah. game.
4: Yeah. Hey, Alpha, I've got some other callers, but you made some, you know, you always bring it. And for those of you who are listening, join Alpha at TruthWorks Network on Friday nights at 10 p.m. because he serves hot grits with his politics.
3: Dennis, thank you. And Dr. Curry, you both have a good evening. Yes, sir. Thank
4: you, Alpha. Alpha is also the new vice president of... Being in charge at TruthWorks Network, he is now my partner at TruthWorks Network. Thank you, Alpha, for your call. We're going to go to 336, and then we're going to wrap it up with Dr. Curry because he was so kind to leave his family and join us tonight. 336, you're on the air. I respect you.
2: Yes, how are you doing today?
4: Fine, thank you. Thank you for, for joining us.
2: Uh, I, I want to say this right here. Um I know that we use the term black to describe the color of a person, and we use the term white to describe the color of another person. Out of ignorance, we do that. What I feel deeply in my heart, though, is that even though we want to call it it's a target on black people or black boys or black males, truthfully, I just can't get it out of my spirit that, as I was telling a brother of mine today, I said, you know, America is hiding one of the biggest secrets in the world. And uh, you might disagree with me. That's fine. But one of the biggest secrets that America is hiding is that the children of Israel is in America. I believe, with all my heart, that this thing goes deep. This thing, this, this even, even the hatred of of what they so called blacks in America is deeper than that. Um, America is holding on to one of the biggest secrets in the world. And like I said, one of that uh, that secret is the fact that. Um, We are truly known as the children of Israel Um, I'm not trying to uh, call uh, uh, To make a disturbance or anything like that But I believe that That with our respect Is that we're being targeted Because of our deep-rooted bloodline That goes all the way back um, To our forefather Abraham Um, I mean, it's deep I mean, in our bloodline uh, Coming out from Out the midst of our people Always comes a messiah to um, free the people from oppression You had um, Dr. King, Sojourner Truth uh, You had Harriet Tubman uh, You had, uh, I mean the list goes on and on and on um, so, many, so many of us have raised, uh, have been raised uh, by, um, I, I must say, by the divine uh, With all integrity and authority To speak against the oppressors and the oppression. So it's like it's like we're not being targeted because if they, see they want to say we've been targeted because we're black, and I and I understand that that's just the way America we well, think well, in America. Well, let's,
4: let's get some terms straight here, and let me stop you for a minute. Uh, first of all, uh, it is no secret that the hatred runs deep because of our history. Yeah, the hatred is ignited. Because we are surviving despite the history that's of right. the country. Now, when I use that's the right. term see. black, and Dr. Yeah. Curry can speak for himself, when I use the term black, I am talking about the descendants of the slaves of American slavery. I'm not talking about the color of anybody's skin, because if you ever yeah, but see that, that's, it, theme, that's what I'm
2: saying. See, that's how they're making it. See every time, every time we even mention black or white, it, it always get into a, a, a situation uh, uh, as far as color uh, or racism is concerned. Uh, well, but the,
4: the matter of the fact is that they identify us by the color of our skin, out of just as you just said, and I agree with you, I you there. You. I have no disagreement uh, because they use skin color as a way of identification. But one of the things that I think that when you talk about people who are white supremacists, they ain't thinking about no. We children of Israel.
2: They're no, no, no.
4: We supposed not to be slaves, white and we ain't. Yes, yeah,
2: not even white American period <laughs> is not even thinking be, that we are. We were we supposed
4: to be free labor. We're suppo- right. thats what they're talking about. Uh, in many ways, when they talk about our place, we are out of place. For some, for some of these ignorant, wasserd races in this country, because we're supposed to be subservient. Let let us get a comment, uh, um, uh, a response from Doctor Curry to what you've had to say, uh, caller. But I want you to know, you get no disagreement from me.
7: Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I just
2: think this thing goes deep, though, because because the reason why I'm saying that though is because is because
7: we get
4: that. We get
8: that. We when, when, get what when, but saying. what I'm
2: saying, but what I'm saying is though, is that when when we, who they call black in America, you see when we reach when we reach our highest peak, see they're afraid of that. See see they're afraid of us reaching our highest peak. You see what I'm saying like like for instance, um, uh, when they had all the sports locked down and only whites was able to play sports, but then mm-hmm. when you let then when um, you know black uh, Africans was uh, allowed to play sports, we dominated the field because we was able to uh, uh, let loose our that. highest potential. So Which that's is what I'm saying. It's, they like, it's like they're afraid of us.
4: They demonize. They, demon, they have demonized all of our historical figures. They have, I mean, with Hoover's FBI, he tried to yeah. destroy Martin Luther King. He, In fact, he, he did destroy Martin Luther King. He destroyed Malcolm X and he destroyed Marcus Garvey because because of the fear as, quote-unquote, the rise of the black man. We get it. Let's get a comment from uh, Dr. Curry.
7: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I believe what you're saying in terms of the history, but I think we have to really focus on, uh, even though we have theological explanations that talk about why there's this uh, hatred of black people that exists even before slavery, but we have to understand yeah. that when we're in the midst in the belly of empire, that one of the things we have to understand is the actual instruments used to come against black people in the black community. So while, while what you're saying may be true, if we don't understand how racism functions, how power functions, and how terror functions to, to, you know, to really keep black people in line, then I think we miss something there. Right? I mean, just as easily as we talk about you know, sports as an analogy, is one of the ways that sports allows them to still make money off of it. It still allows them to control our labor and our, our males' bodies, right? The same way that you know we have black men being killed or used for prison labor, the same way that our women are being sterilized and kept poor because it means that it keeps the black community poor, these, these things mean money. It means profit for the way that America's been set up. So I don't think we can lose sight of that despite you know, how far we want to take this back. Yeah. H- have you ever heard of a
2: document called? Um, uh, it's a document called Co Intel Pro. It was signed by J Edgar Hoover.
8: Yeah, uh, I've that heard the document
2: stated up, that um, if there should be any rise of a messiah to electrify, ratify, or even energize the black people, uh, that person um, is supposed to be um, executed or put to death. Absolutely. This is where it happens. It, right. It's like it, it's like it's like they're killing our young kids. They're killing our young brothers. They're killing us off young because well, they're afraid well, well, because they're they know that from the midst of us shall rise a Messiah. You see? They're
4: targeting, they have learned throughout the most recent uh, history over the last 50 years, they have learned that fear works to keep people in control.
6: Right. So yeah.
4: if you are blatant enough, to start killing our children and allowing your system not to hold people accountable, what's the message? I mean, they co-op, they murder, and then what do we do?
2: Well, we sit, we wake sit up. back fall and have conversations. We have to fall wake up. To the fear. Right. Absolutely.
4: 336, thank you so much for your call. Do you do you join us often? Y'all got to get some people up in here, because if you get some people up in here, I'm back on five days a week because this stuff is boiling in my brain.
2: Hey, no, that's right. I, three, I would three, definitely six. be joining your show.
4: Well, I'm glad to have you. You can join us, uh, follow us on, on Facebook or whatever you do on Facebook. But we post all of our shows in depth providing background information on every topic that we do. And so thank you so very much for your call. We get you. We, we, we are there. Uh, we yeah, we it, it, definitely it.
7: get you. Okay,
2: what they're doing to us is to prevent the rise of a black messiah. You see, and, and that's the thing. See, we have been brainwashed in religion to believe that there was only one messiah. But the truth is that a Messiah means one who comes to free his people from the oppressor. That's well, we what a true more Messiah than one is. one Messiah
4: around here right now? Because this is a real state of emergency. Three three six. I got to run because Doctor Curry's got to run, and I want to say goodbye to him. So thank I love you, so you guys and thank much. you so much. Okay, and we'll see you next Saturday. We're here at ten p.m. Speaking truth to power and ourselves transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. This is our common ground. Dr. Tommy J. Curry. Yes, ma'am. I don't know how much uh, and where we begin to lift up our spirits as we watch these things
7: unfold. Yes, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, I mean, I think, um, you know, every time these types of things happen, I think about what Derek used to tell me. You know, that it's just it's a struggle, right? I mean, these this is this is what we mean by persistent struggle, constant struggle. Um, but you know, I mean, I have a hard time not becoming angry um, because I, I see what happens out in the real world. Uh, I see how these black men and boys are talked about in the academy. Uh,
9: yeah.
7: I see yeah. how people deliberately send it. You know, silence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the ability of people to even talk You know, to talk about these deaths You know, uh, and, it, and it's frustrating It's angering and it's frustrating Because as much as these black bourgeois uh, Make money uh, Talking about the death of black people Specifically black boys uh, I'm always curious to how many of them really care You know, you just, you, we don't have Any sustained engagement I mean, it's mm-hmm. like two journals on black masculinity I was it's like, it's why
4: really I just had a conversation with India Declare the I declare show just yesterday about mm. all this talk about I mean, um, I'm I'm MIT trained, i you know, uh <laughs> but all this discourse about the intersection of this and of that and the other. Oh yeah. The people who need to understand that we are in a state of emergency are the people who are sitting at home right now trying to figure out how do I go buy groceries tomorrow, how do I pay for lunches next week, how do Mm -hmm. I keep the telephone on and keep these kids on the Internet?
7: Yeah, look, I mean, you know, and this is one of my frustrations with intersectionality, right, As a theory. You want to talk about intersection Talk about the intersections of people who can't eat. Talk about the intersections of black boys dying and how their mothers uh, have to deal with that. Talk about their sisters. Talk about what happens when black men become incarcerated and black women can't take care of households because of economic uh, hardships and poverty. Talk about that. Like if you want to talk about intersectionality, talk about real people. Don't come up that's here and say I talk about race, race class, and gender. Don't no, know a damn thing about black people because that's mm-hmm, exactly mm-hmm. what happens right now.
4: Mm-hmm. Is that you can talk, uh-huh. you can you know, say that. Like, you know? We don't have any programs as dealing with black boys on one hand and black girls on the other hand that are caught in between mm-hmm. the, the 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 violence against their mother by their father.
7: Right. Is it
4: basic that?
7: Yeah, and we don't have any programs that are helping these black men. I mean, if you're raised in this kind of environment. Right? And this is, this is my frustration. I have no problem. I encourage us to study those types of issues of domestic abuse. We should study all violence in our communities. But when you don't have a conversation about how young black men growing up fearful, as you were saying, growing up on the streets, being abused, sexually abused, either in prison or juvie, and then you try to put, put some kind of European theory to explain domestic abuse, you're missing the boat because you don't understand how these black men have been socialized to social interaction. You don't understand how they've been socialized in the violence. This is this is a goddamn embarrassment that we're talking 50, 60 years after the birth of black family studies with people like Joyce Ladner and Francis Rogers-Rose that we're still having conversations about how we need to study and tend to our own people. It's a damn That's embarrassment.
4: Right. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, we've got to stay on it. We've got to understand that we are in a state of emergency.
7: Absolutely. When a black Absolutely.
4: boy, when a jury can walk away and say, they did not understand that it was. See, in, in in my opinion, the minute he went into his glove compartment and got his gun, it was premeditated.
7: Absolutely, absolutely, because there was no threat on his life, especially if he was in the car and then got out and kneeled down to shoot those boys, shoot at that car after they were driving That's away.
4: That's right. There's, there's no
7: justification for it.
4: And and, That's and not nobody what people, talked the person does. the phys- the physicality. Comparable, what they call in when you do case review and complaint review, the physicality comparable, this man was at least one and a half sizes bigger than any boy was in that car
7: right but this is this is what blackness does this is that's what, this right is what especially black maleness does
4: that's right. Dr. Tommy J. Curry, thank you very much, and enjoy your family. I wish you were here. There's a blizzard running straight across Boston right now.
7: Yeah, and no, I was 70 degrees in Texas today, so I'm, I'm going to leave that one to you. <laughs> I love <laughs> you, my brother,
4: and thank you so I very much. appreciate it,
7: thank you. Thank
4: okay, you. that was Dr. Tommy J. Curry, and if you don't follow him on his blogs and Facebook. You are missing a lesson. I followed Dr. Curry uh, as he taught his class at Texas A&M, one of his classes on on race in Texas A&M in this last semester. And I went in, I read all the materials, I did all the stuff and did all the work. And uh, it was wonderful to see the kinds of he was posting papers The students were posting their papers and assignments right on Facebook it was just wonderful it's Tommy J Curry thank you for being with us tonight we're going to take a little break and when we come back we're going to talk about how we undo all of this stuff what is your in
1: almost immediately most former rebel states enact harsh laws known as black codes.
7: The black codes are laws designed to regulate the lives of blacks, in particular to control their movements throughout the South and to force them back onto the plantations as uh, farm laborers uh, working for the white landlords.
1: Some codes prohibit blacks from owning firearms, buying liquor, or engaging in any trade or business other than farming. The land promised to the freedmen is returned to unrepentant rebels, sentencing blacks to a landless existence for generations to come. Often, white landowners would hire freed slaves to work the harvest, only to chase them off the land when their wages came due. Unable to collect their meager earnings, many blacks starved to death.
7: Johnson looked the other way as the ex-Confederate government reimposed stringent control over the black race through the black codes, which were a de facto form of slavery in that they regulated the daily lives of, of blacks, much like apartheid in South Africa.
1: Some states go so far as to legalize the beatings of former slaves who are considered to have misbehaved
6: beating black people
4: who step out of line for, you know, things such as not getting off the sidewalk
0: when you see a white man or white woman walking by. So small infractions are things that are that can be perceived as um,
4: shucking that um, southern way of life, so to speak.
5: Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
4: Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We hope that we have helped you to cope just just cope a little bit with uh what this what is all of this stuff that we have to uh, we have to put up with um and and to get some insight. We are not a people of non-survival, and we want uh, the parents of Jordan Davis to know that we, we are saddened and disappointed that the jury was unable to reach a full verdict and bring justice, serve justice to their son and that our hearts are with this Jordan family as they learn they will have to bear another trial and more waiting for justice. And they deserve closure in the killing of their son, and we will continue to shine a spotlight on this country's broken stand-your-ground laws. You will recall that last week we announced That Marissa Alexander will be going on trial on the 28th, um, and she shouldn't be. She committed no crime. We are reminded that the parents of Trayvon Martin and Oscar Grant's mother will never have peace in their lives, because we tolerate a justice system, which starts in the prosecutor's office, which starts in the Department of Probation, which starts at the police department, which starts at the mayor. Ultimately, if we are not having people in our community who are providing leadership on the discourse of not how we change the justice system, but how we transform it. We will continue to see this over and over and over. I don't know about you out there, but I'm looking at these two beautiful uh, grand princes of mine, And I'm scared. I am absolutely scared. Um, and, And I am seeing the fear from the oldest one. But I'm also seeing how we have to inform him in a way that makes that fear be real. I mean, how many white parents do you think have discussions with their 12-year-old sons about how to behave if they are ever stopped by a person who we pay through our tax dollars to protect and serve? That's where we are, folks. And if you're not doing it, you're not doing your children. Any
7: great service
4: If we are not talking to our boys Especially About when I mean I think about how many times my grandson Walks with his basketball team To the train station All 14, 15 of them gangling Mostly black boys To catch the train Something pops off in the train station, and they are just there. That should not be, because I was just there. Because Oscar Grant was just there, and Jordan Davis was just there. I don't think it's too much to ask that we look at how that goes. I'm Janice Graham. We hope you'll join us with Dr. LaFrances Rogers-Rose. You will love her, as I have for many, many years. She is the founder and CEO of the International Black Women's Congress. Uh, every year there is an annual conference Uh, that her organization holds, and every year I attend because it is a must for black women activists. Be kind to each other over the next days. Listen carefully about what they are saying to you. We hope that we have transformed truth to power in this broadcast. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll... Be listening for you.
9: Rise up, black man. I said rise up, black man. Rise like the rush of a million men marching up mountains to obtain their mental manumission. Let African pride be your ammunition and let's engage in sedition if we must. Cause it's up to us to uplift our nation from the dust of dreadful damnation. Rise up, black man. I said rise up, black man. Rise up like a million men marching against the tide of societal injustice. Rise like a Nubian phoenix turning that anger that burns incessantly on your inside into a torch that you take to toss onto the next generation so that they can take that flame and frame a resilient picture of our future. Rise up, black man. Rise to the occasion. Show the world how black men are still in the household and not all in jail. Still pursuing their education and proudly paying tuition, not bail. And you, you bold black men on lockdown must show the world that you got your head up with your eyes on the prize because that prison cell you're in just could be a blessing in disguise. See, even in the prison where we live like slaves black men, you have the power to break those chains or handcuffs and collectively call everyone's bluff because we got too many fakers out there fronting like they're down up the car.
4: You've been listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm Janice Graham, and join us on TruthWorks Network, Wednesdays and Fridays with Soul of Fire and The Alpha Show. You can find Our Common Ground on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Pinterest, and Twitter at JaniceOCG. If it's Saturday at 10 p.m. I'll be listening
5: for you. We rush into battle. We're soldiers. We get hurt in the fight. We suck it up and we hold it down. I like it or not, so I'm asking you for the truth. I know the truth. So what I'm asking you is, what is your endgame?
4: We, the children of Shaka Zulu, we are gladiators. I'm
8: Get down with my